If you ask anybody around the ASU football offices these days about the 2022 season, they would probably reply that it's all about the windshield because that disappointing campaign is well in the rearview mirror. The excitement over the hire of new head coach Kenny Dillingham has certainly energized the program, but there's little doubt that he, is in, he and his staff will be carefully evaluating what took place last season, draw the appropriate conclusions, and tailor a constructive approach to building this team and implementing philosophies on both sides of the ball. Nonetheless, we still want to reflect on what took place these past three months, so this podcast will be devoted to evaluating the season that culminated with a 3-9 mark, and for that task, I invited my staff writers to chime in with their opinions and perspectives. So thank you very much for tuning in. Let's get this thing started. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies podcast. I'm your host and devilsdigest.com publisher, Hoda Rubino. And joining me on this uh, episode uh, are my staff writers, Jack Loader, Cole Topham, Nick Borgia, our uh, multimedia journalists. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining. Let's uh, jump right into this. And uh, the first question is, Granted, there were low preseason expectations um, all around uh, going into this season, but still, when you see Arizona State finishing at a three and nine, three and nine mark, did that uh, catch you by surprise? Jack, I'll start with you. Yeah, well, I remember how you tweeted that towards the end of July, I think it was the early training camp, that ASU's win total was somewhere around five and a half, and I remember you saying that you think the over would be a pretty solid bet, and I think that's because we looked at the schedule, we saw games like NAU and Eastern Michigan, uh, Pac-12 games like Stanford and Colorado, and even a couple of maybe the Pacific Northwest matchups that you could file away as very probable wins. And a number of those very probable wins did not turn out as wins, and only one of the very probable losses turned out as a win. So when you factor those things in, the three you get the three loss mark. Given the talent, I think the athleticism up and down the roster, three wins was surprising. But once we got into that rut and you saw the team start to kind of drown, kind of get – submerged by a lot of the off the field stuff going on that it started to snowball. And that's how we, we ended up with that really bleak total. I think probably the, the worst win total since 1994. Yeah. How, how about you, Nick? You, you were a field level for most of the games this season. Uh, what was from your vantage point? Uh, were you surprised by a three win season? I was definitely surprised. I mean, I'll go back to what Jack said about that over under before the season even started being at five and a half. I was convinced that Vegas is going to be right on the money. It's going to be five wins or it's going to be six. Um, so I thought either way, that's what it was going to be. But again, when you factor in those losses like Eastern Michigan and Stanford, I think those are two standout games that should have gone the other way for the Sun Devils to at least make it to five. Um, so that's kind of my reaction. And then, sure, I mean, you can never expect a team to go through a head coaching change in the middle of the season. I mean, that's that's one aspect that no one could ever expect. So I think going through that is a huge thing that, that just really was hard to overcome. But, yeah, I was definitely surprised. And how about you, Cole? I mean, you had uh, the film analysis on both Arizona State and its opponents uh, every week uh, this season. Uh, did you uh, see a team as the season progressed uh, of one that really was going to maybe get to that five-win mark? Or do you or did you really uh, think maybe midway through the season that uh, a three-win season wouldn't be that much of a surprise? I think even during the season – you know, we were kind of expecting Arizona State to 
you know, hit a revival point and and get some wins. And they did against Washington and they were, you know, had chances against Washington State and um, and Stanford and Stanford. But I think I think what really surprised me was the defense and kind of just how bad the run defense was and how one dimensional it made Arizona State. And I think that's really what was the killer here, because, you know, we expected with Donnie Henderson taking over and with him saying at the beginning of the season that he really wanted continuity and he wanted the scheme to stay the the same for those guys. He didn't want anything to change. And we kind of expected all the same Antonio Pierce principles from last year to carry over to guys that were already comfortable in that system. And even in the fall camp, it did seem like all the newcomers and the transfers were getting integrated. So we expected the defense um, to be one of the strong suits of the team and the offense, you know, the baselines for the offense were so low after last season that you kind of improvement was, was inevitable in that aspect. So just to see the the defense kind of falter a little bit specifically in the run game, I think was, was surprising. And that's what led to ASU's three and nine record. Okay, Cole, I'll, I'll stay with you uh, doing the uh, snake order, all of uh, fantasy uh, uh, league draft. Concerning um, the offense, can you pick uh, some bright spots, if there are any, and uh, the shortcomings, uh, what you saw from this side of the ball in 2022? Yeah, Elijah Badger, Elijah Badger, Elijah Badger. Mm-hmm. To see him break out in the fashion that he did after so much talk, after after so much anticipation of what he could do, um, of just his talents after the catch and high pointing the football, it was really nice to see him have the season that he did and really establish himself as one of the top threats in the Pac-12. I think a big shortcoming of the ASU offense, though, was the tight end involvement. I think it, it lies with um, the offensive coordinator and the game planning uh, and, and really just not understanding the strengths of your personnel because it was it was pretty obvious that Messiah Swenson and Jalen Conyers, um, you know, while it, ASU is always going to be a, a run first team, it seemed like they ASU finally had the pieces at the tight end position to offer some duality in the receiving game there. And Jalen Connors really had a strong finish over the last half of the season with five touchdowns, multiple highlight reel catches. It, it just kind of seemed like a mistake not to involve him really early on. Same question to you, Nick. I would have to agree with um, obviously Elijah Badger just breaking out and being such a weapon, but obviously the ASU rushing attack too with Xavier Valade was sometimes inconsistent, but most of the time really, really effective. You know, X Valade leading the Pac 12 in touchdowns, um, averaging 99 yards a game. I mean, that's those are solid stats. But then to go to back to what you said, Cole, about just where are the tight ends? I mean, why are we just learning about Jalen Conyers in the Colorado game? Like in your film analysis before the season, you're pointing out how these two tight ends should be utilized both in full and they're so talented and they're so large and so like just capable of, of changing the game and I just don't know why we didn't see that until Colorado until Jan, Jalen Conyers had his breakout game so um, you know once he did Sean Aguano was able to kind of take charge on that and, and utilize Conyers a little bit more but even then I thought that you know those two guys were were weapons that were underutilized and I would have liked to see more of them. How about you, Jack? Do you concur with all those points or maybe uh, have a different point of view as far as uh, strong points and uh, shortcomings of the ACU offense? Um, well, I definitely concur with the, uh, the Badger and Valaday praise. I think undeniably those two in terms of a production standpoint, most were the most exciting skill position guys for Arizona State. I'll, I'll go the, uh, the feel-good story, the Borgay route from, uh, I think, offensive highlights. Um, 
regardless of stats and production on the field, which ended up being pretty darn good for the, the Tucson native Trenton Borgay, it's a feel good story. A kid who's been a backup for a while, who, you know, he's tried and true. He does all the right things when it comes to coaches saying what backups are supposed to do and the kind of teammates they're supposed to be. And in Borgay's case, it ends up paying off and he gets a starting role. You know, he's not a traditional multi-star recruit, former walk-on. He's undersized, but he commanded this offense in a great way when he took over for Emory Jones. I think he earned the respect of a lot of fans and uh, teams around the conference that he already had in that locker room based on the way he carried himself. So Trenton Borgay, definitely a bright spot this year. Wasn't always the most dominant on the field. I think he definitely could point to a number of plays that he'd like to take back throughout the course of the season, but overall a really solid showing from him. Uh, shortcoming, I think the offensive line had a lot of issues with depth. Um, pass protection was pretty shoddy at times. They were usually pretty good in the run game, and I take a lot of pride in that, but I think that's a group that we heard a lot about in August, the the depth, the depth, the depth. We were a very deep group, and it was tested a lot of the year, and I had guys shuffling all over position. So I think that was a bit of a shortcoming, not truly by any fault of any one player or any really coaching on the offensive line, just kind of became a war of attrition for that unit down the stretch. Hey, Jack, I'll stay with you. Uh, same question about the defense. Uh, maybe uh, kind of hard to find any bright spots, but did you find any? And I know shortcomings uh, would probably be uh, a topic for a five-hour uh, podcast episode, but uh, nonetheless, uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, sh- shortcomings. Let me un- unscroll my, my CVS receipt length uh, <laughs> laundry list here, but we'll start with this, the strong parts. I mean, Kyle Soley had a tremendous season for ASU in his, in his swan song in maroon and gold. The tackling totals, we heard about it each week after week, how audacious that was becoming. And he took over. This is a group that lost Eric Gentry after spring practice. And we, we were, the depth was going to be tested, and the leadership of Soli was also going to be tested as well. So I think Kyle Soli, definitely a bright spot of that defense. Um, I'll, Cole, I'll let you hit more on uh, the bright spots in the secondary because I know you got some of those. I don't want to steal, steal your thunder here. Um, shortcomings yeah just getting gashed up front almost consistently the defensive line and us kind of hearing the same things every week about why certain things were happening I think that probably became frustrating for a lot of ASU fans and it became an, an issue of trust with Donnie Henderson so I think when Kenny Dillingham's putting together his defensive staff he's going to look to identify guys who are going to be able to adjust and on the fly and kind of be ready to defend in a modern college football offense so how about you, Nick? What are your thoughts about the defense? I think I think that's going to be the common theme here, just the inability to adapt by Donnie Henderson and the defense, just as Cole mentioned earlier, so one-dimensional. I think they were exposed in similar ways throughout each game in the season. So that was probably my biggest shortcoming. Um, but I'm sorry, Cole, I'm going to steal one of your DBs from you. I had a blast watching Jordan Clark, Jordan Clark play football. I mean, uh, he had two picks on the year and, um, you know, one of those undersized guys on the field. But – from down there, I'm telling you guys, he hits harder than anybody. Like some of the tackles he made are some of my best highlight reel uh, video shots. So um, I, I liked watching him play. I think he was a bright spot. Obviously, Kyle Soley, definitely the leader of the defense, uh, probably one of the better players out there. But I wanted to highlight Jordan Clark, too. Great. And Cole, I mean, maybe it's not all about the DBs, but uh, I, I'm sure uh, you have uh, definitely some thoughts about that group. Yeah, I think the defensive back group after – Try you have to replace four starters after last season, and every guy that they that they brought in 
um, was pretty much a transfer minus Edwards, who was able to compete in the fall camp and establish himself in the lineup. But I thought, you know, Ro Torrance had some really, really good showings. Um, nice pass breakups when he was able to use his length. And then Chris Edmonds and Corey Bethley establishing establishing themselves midseason as as kind of the back half guys and really, you know, manning that their sides of the field. I thought they did a really solid job and learning learning the scheme and and being able to be plug and play guys and and play all over the field. So um I thought I thought that was a good adjustment by them. And also Nesta Jade Silvera, I thought like he was PFF's highest graded interior defensive lineman for the Pac-12. Um, but I also think that's kind of a shortcoming too, because it seemed like if Nesta at that nose tackle three tech, you know, switch hitting position didn't create enough penetration initially in the run game, then it just kind of relied on the linebackers to to go and, and make the tackles or the safeties to come downhill and go go make the tackle on the running back. So it kind of just seemed like, the run game or the run defense relied on a few key guys in order to, um, you know, make some stops. And when those guys were adequately blocked or, or thoroughly snuffed, it, it just didn't seem like the defense had any grounds to work with. So if we're looking some, for some rapid answers to some of the questions over here in reviewing the season, uh, would you uh, all concur high point of the season win against Washington, low point of the season lost to Eastern Michigan, the firing, of Herm Edwards. I'll start with you, Cole. Yeah, I mean, the Washington game, it, it was just a show of adversity. Um, Aguano had been saying for the for the last two weeks, the previous two weeks, that his team fights. And I think that was like the really true showing of if this team fights throughout all four quarters and down to the whistle, then that's the product that that can happen, wins over ranked team. But I'd actually probably go with a win over win over Colorado because even though it's it was a, a lesser skilled opponent. Um, and you know, Colorado is straight up, not a good team. It was a type of offensive explosion and, and, and type of multifaceted attack led by Trenton Bourget that Sun Devil fans have been wanting for so long. It was, it was something that, you know, maybe Jaden Daniels came close to last season, the UCLA game, but not to the extent that Bourget had where he utilized his entire receiving arsenal. Um, the run game was effective. Multiple pass catchers were involved. Um, I, I just thought like the Colorado game showcased, you know, what this offense could have been earlier in the season had everything, yeah, had all the cards fallen into place. How about you, Nick? Um, high point, low point, uh, Washington win, uh, Eastern Michigan loss, or do you have other thoughts? So I'll quickly agree with the Washington win, obviously ranked win at home, always a great thing with Trenton Borgay coming in and saving the day. But, um, you know, obviously the Eastern Michigan lost just one of the worst losses in ASU history that we can remember that was at the start of the year that was with Herm Edwards at the helm that was that was way long ago so you can argue that beyond that point there's still pretty much a whole season of football to be played um you know you can still fight for that bowl eligibility like that early Eastern Michigan loss doesn't kill your season in in some aspects so that's why I think the loss to Stanford when the defense had one of its best showings of the entire season, holding Stanford at 15 points in the offense, just unable to capitalize and, and score more than that when the defense, you know, played their hearts out. I mean, that's, that's a season turning win. I think if they get that win, in my opinion, because that's, that's they're coming off of Washington coming out of the bye week um, and they just weren't able to get it done. And, and Stanford is one of those teams that, that is kind of a must win at that point in the season. And they, they had all the tools to do so and they didn't do it. So I think that was actually a, a tougher loss just in terms of getting to the end of the season and trying to fight for a bowl and getting the six wins. Cause I mean, Eastern Michigan so long ago, but very obviously a bad defeat. How about you, Jack? 
yeah, I'll, I'll go chalk too. The Washington one was so great. I know how that was the one game you've missed in all your uh, years that I've been around this program, which isn't that many, but I think a lot longer. And uh, I remember saying to Cole up in the press box, you know, is, are we going to be, is Hode going to be able to come back? This, this team, team could be turning the worm. And uh, fortunately for you, unfortunately for ASU, that, that Washington win did not become the norm. Uh, but it was an awesome moment. I think the raw emotion we saw from Iguano after the game, I think was one of my favorite parts. And, and really just the, the happiness of the players. It was kind of what they've been telling us all year. Uh, this is still a tight-knit group. We're still focused on this. We still fo- have a common goal. We saw that come together for a day. And uh, that was cool to see. And it was uh, the school needed The fans needed it. And it ended up being a pretty consequential victory in the grand scheme of uh, college football here at the end of the year because UW doesn't lose that game. They're playing last night, if I'm not mistaken. And who knows how their season ends up. So ASU can hang their hat on the fact that they – we're the catalyst of at least some havoc in uh, in college football this year. And then Eastern Michigan loss, I'll keep it brief. That was that was one ASU fans will remember for a while as one of the more embarrassing. Um, offensive MVP, defensive MVP, I don't know if the, the answers are uh, easy or hard over here. My offensive MVP, uh, Xavier Valde, I always said he was brought in to minimize the drop-off between him and Rashad White. I think that uh, goal has definitely been achieved in that regard. Defensive MVP, I don't know how you, how you cannot give it to Kyle Sole, not only the team lead in tacklers, one of the best tacklers in the entire Pac-12, and I think nationwide was uh, in the top 10 uh, c- consistently all season long. Uh, Jack, uh, do you agree with those selections or do you have different ones? I agree with those selections for sure. I mean, Valade almost inarguably the offensive MVP. Uh, give Badgers flowers. When Cole mentioned those, uh, Cole and Nick mentioned those two. So I think if you're going to say a running game MVP, obviously Valade and uh, – receiving MVP, Elijah Badger took huge strides. Shout shout out Geo Sanders a little bit, another walk-on who made good strides and was an impactful receiver, especially down the stretch. But I think if if you're handing out that trophy, it's got to have Valid's name on it. Um, How about you, Nick? Uh, Selection's pretty obvious, or do you have a different uh, take? I think so. I mean, you just look statistically and see that both Kyle Soley, Xavier Valaday, just leading the team, both offensively, defensively. Um, I think there's a case to be made for Badger, just – it's it's rare for a team, I think, to have such a reliable go-to receiver that can be so effective and, and so lethal. Um, so it was fun to see Badger really break out and shine in that front. But then, obviously, Xavier Valade just being so consistent and reliable on his own um, and, and scoring so many of ASU's points, I, I think it's hard to not give it to him. How about you, Cole? What are your thoughts? Yeah, excellent cap, um, Kyle Soli. I mean, just consistency, reliability each and every week. And I mean, that's that's football for you. You need players in your in your system that aren't going to, you know, make many mistakes week to week and are comfortable and, and know the system. And that's exactly what Valade and Soli showed all season that, I mean, they could be plug and play guys um, and they could make plays when they're when their number was called. Okay, next, next uh, category is best newcomer, and we are including uh, players that came from the portal. Obviously, ASU had quite a bit of those. Um, I'm not going to get too crazy over here. I'm going to say Xavier Valade, uh, the tra- transfer from Wyoming. Again, for what I mentioned earlier, uh, definitely, you know, I think it was a pleasant surprise that people didn't think that he could come close to what Rashad White uh, achieved. So for me, uh, he's, he's the best newcomer, hands down, and there were a lot of Good newcomers aside uh, from him, but uh, he's uh, by far uh, the top notch in that category. Uh, Cole, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't think it's very hard to imagine 
what ASU's season would look like without Xavier Valaday. I mean, they might not even get to three and nine without Valaday, and that's just how consistent, how um, you know, reliable he was in the run game. And um, to come in on the heels of Rashad White's performance, I thought was incredible, and, and post nearly identical stats and somewhat improved in in many areas as well. So, um, give it to X Valaday for for best newcomer. Yeah, I, I I definitely have to agree. I think it's a pretty easy choice. Um, just such a, a game changer. And um, again, like I said, so effective, scored so many ASU's points. And Cole brings up a good point. Who knows where ASU would be without him? I mean, having that lead back that can be so reliable is so important in college football. So the fact that ASU had that um, was super important. And yeah, I, I got to put my vote with him. So Jack, can you give some love to Nesta, Corey Bethley, or it's still about uh, I was, was going to say, uh, obviously, obviously Valaday, but I'm going to shout out Sean Slocum's unit for a second. Carter Brown was a really strong newcomer to this team. Uh, did, probably didn't have the, the final stretch of the season he wanted. I remember he, he doinked that 21-yard, 29-yarder against Oregon State, and he didn't honestly didn't get all too many field goal opportunities in the second half of the season, I think, because Aguano was – hanging his hat on that aggressive style and wanting to go for it on fourth down in the plus half of the field. But Carter Brown is a great piece for ASU, was a great piece for ASU as a freshman, and he announced a couple days ago that he's running it back with Kenny Dillingham, so he'll be sticking around in Tempe. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you mentioned it, Corey Bethley, fifth-year senior, the guy out of Hawaii who's played, I think it was the most snaps in in college football actively, so he's uh, a warrior. And then Chris Edmonds also in the secondary had a nice year. The Sanford, another FCS transfer, uh, ball hawk took the ball away a number of times and uh, was a was a bright spot in a really poor defensive unit. So when I look at the biggest surprise of the season, at least my caveat is that I don't know if you can call Elijah Badger a surprise because there was a lot of buildup the last couple of years for Badger being that uh, right receiver that's just going to finally break out. So uh, my uh, choice, and maybe it's an obvious one, uh, tight end Jalen Conyers. Uh, he he showed exactly what he could do. I don't think he talked a lot of smack, but he definitely was uh, very, very confident in his abilities. So uh, to me, Jalen Conyers, uh, biggest surprise of the year. Uh, Jack, would you agree? I think uh, positively, Jalen Conyers is the biggest surprise. Negatively is how uh, my biggest surprise was just how badly the D-line got bullied time and time again in the run game. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't think they were going to be, you know, the steel curtain front four by any means, but I think, uh, the way we watch Coach Rod coach at practice, the way this unit is uh, often the most vocal and intense on the practice field and imposing in physicality, they they really got pushed around. It looked like they were on skates in a lot of games. And you know, defensive defensive fronts like the, to hang their hat on their ability to uh, to stop the run, and that's just not something this team can identify with. So that surprised me. How about you, Nick? I'd say my biggest surprise was quarterback Trenton Borgay coming into that Washington game. When he came in for the injured Emory Jones, I'm sitting there on the sidelines. I'm like, all right, buckle down. Let's let's see where this goes. Because, <laughs> I mean, if we if we talk about spring last year and we see the two front-running quarterbacks for that starting position are, are Trenton Bourget and Paul Tyson, all right, there's some talent there. But these guys compare to players like DTR, Caleb Williams, Michael Penix Jr., like can they, can they effectively take over? I just – I was unsure. Um, so obviously we get Emory Jones, ASU gets Emory Jones out of the transfer portal. Um, it doesn't live up to, to what people were hoping that he would be, but then Borgay comes in and somewhat effectively leads 
uh, the back half of the season. Obviously, not as win, not as many wins as people wanted, but um, like you had mentioned earlier, just his ability to to command the offense, to make the right reads, and just overall have have better performances and and be pretty effective. Um, especially, we saw that in that Colorado game. Obviously, leading the team to victory and for the Washington game was huge. Um, so I, I was surprised by Borgay, and I'm interested to see what's next for him because I, I, my opinion definitely changed about him. You know, I, I knew he was talented, but now I think he has what it takes to to lead a D1 team. Oh, what are your thoughts, Cole? Yeah, I think Borgay is a good answer. I'm probably going to go with Geo Sanders, considering like the talent that he was playing behind in the slot last season. LB Monkley, Shelton, Ricky Pearsaw. Um, he was kind of put in a position where he needed to step up and really become a reliable. Uh, guy for the person playing quarterback for Arizona State and he had a really strong spring I don't think he dropped any passes and then kind of parlayed that reliability into the fall camp where um, ASU brought in some competition at the slot with Cam Johnson and Geo Sanders was able to hang on to that role and then have a really strong season where it kind of seemed like every time that ASU needed to move the chains Geo Sanders was there and they threw it in his direction Uh, he was able to get some space over the middle and and make some really clean catches. And he finally scored his first touchdown to ASU uniform um, at the end of the season against Arizona. So I thought Geo Sanders was a nice surprise, somebody that I didn't think we expected to be such a, a staple in the lineup a year ago. Uh, but he really stepped up and proved that he belongs. So we're uh, less than 48 hours uh, from the beginning of the madness that is the transfer portal. So if I were to ask you what current player, barring a transfer portal decision to leave Arizona State, do you look forward uh, most seeing in uh, 2023? What would your answer be? Uh, Cole, before I throw it to you, I would say again, uh, Jalen Conyers. Uh, he showed a lot, but I think it's still the tip of the iceberg of uh, what he can be in terms of a legit potential All-American tight end. Uh, who's your selection as a player that you're most excited to see, again, barring uh, a transfer portal decision. Yeah, I'm so sick with Elijah Badger, mostly because he was so good in Glenn Thomas's scheme that to imagine him and Kelly, Kenny Dillingham, what he's going to install in the spring, I think, I mean, Kenny Dillingham, he had aggressive uh, vertical passing game, um, really understood how to get his playmakers and strengths, understood um, understood just the strengths of his personnel and and how to get the ball to his players. And that that is exactly where Elijah Badger shines the most. And so I, I thought the offensive scheme held back Badger at points during the season. I don't think it will in 2023. So I think that's why Elijah Badger is, is my choice, just because there's so much un, so much untapped potential that was, you know, we, we kind of got a glimpse of it this season. It turned into a really strong season. And if ASU is able to keep him from the transfer portal, then he's going to be the best receiver since Brandon Ayuk. And you can kind of infer what his draft stock is going to be in a year as well. Well, what say you, Nick? I'll have to agree with you, Hode. Jalen Conyers, I mean, you know, we just talked about some surprises for the season. I'm going to come out and say that I was not surprised by what he did in Colorado. I mean, that was just a, a volcano waiting to erupt. <laughs> like, like just such a freak of nature that it was so underutilized so now that we've seen what this guy can really do and and Dillingham's coming in not only going to affect Badger's game but also Jalen Connors I just feel like Dillingham is going to be able to change the way this offense runs with these skill players and and have them properly utilized 
Um, he is just so scary. If you're a defender on any team, like this dude is huge. You are going to bounce off of him. He's going to throw you. He's going to break tackles. He's going to score. Um, so I was, I was very impressed by him. Wasn't surprised. I just, I kind of saw that through fall camp through, you know, all the, all the practices that we got to see with him. Um, so I was, I was excited for him to see him break out. And I think he needs to stay here at ASU. So for you, Jack is really a hard decision between Conyers and Badger, or maybe do you have uh, another thought in mind? Um, th- I think those two are clearly the, uh, the biggest pieces that Dillingham and his staff are going to have to, you know, engage in a full court press and kind of defending them from the NIL clutches. Um, but I'll, 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 zag, I'll zag a little bit and I'll say I'm excited to see what, what Tevin White becomes as a, uh, a, maybe not a lead back because we don't know what Dillingham and the staff are going to add in the portal. But as of now, that's, he would be number one on the depth chart considering we just saw Daniel and Gata <coughs> announce that he'd be going to the portal. And uh, on the defensive side, maybe a younger guy like Robbie Harrison. Remember, we guys were raving about him in, in the preseason camp and his, his uh, abilities in the weight room. So I, I think he was just definitely too young and experienced, not, maybe not physical enough to get on the field this season. But I think he's a guy that can develop and become a real beast on the defensive line where ASU really needs it. Okay, and last question uh, to wrap up our roundtable over here. Uh, real quickly, uh, top three to-do items on your list in 2023 if you were Kenny Dillingham. I'll start with you, Jack. Uh, number one, bar none, is uh, find a defensive coordinator and one that is modern. Not only is savvy with all the things that we've that have been hot button issues in the last week, which is you know modern college football playing the recruiting game, playing the the NIL game, but someone who just knows how to defend a modern offense. And I think Donnie Henderson is was not that guy this year. So Kenny Dillingham, find yourself a good defensive coordinator. Um, add in the trenches in the transfer portal. I think would be number two. Really. Uh, we saw what happened last night with Utah and USC. USC was this flashy team on offense that added all, all these weapons in the portal. You got Jordan Addison, you got Caleb, Caleb Williams, who are, you know, offensive weapons on par with the best in the country for sure. But Utah, as they do, they've done under Kyle Whittingham for years, dominated the line of scrimmage and controlled the physicality of that football game. And it seems like for the umpteenth time, we came away saying, hey, Utah, the more physical and what better coach team won the football game in their Pac-12 champs. So I think that, offers a bit of a model and to not get to not get caught in eye candy maybe i'll use a, a football db's term don't get dirty eyes with the uh the flashy pieces remember what what wins football games a lot of the time and that's physicality in the trenches how about you nick what's your top three yeah so my, my first thing is obviously pretty generic like jack said just winning the transfer portal but not only you know bringing outside talent into asu but as we just talked about with players like badger and conyers can asu keep those guys so Winning the transfer portal as a whole is a huge thing by adding talent, but also not losing talent. It's going to be a tricky thing. How do they go about that? And how quickly can they grow the NIL programs here at ASU? That's a huge thing that is is a driving force for players looking to transfer elsewhere or stay here. Um, and, and we saw some pretty amazing things in that introductory press conference with with uh, for De- Kenny Dillingham with Nap Lawrence donating a million dollars to get the ball, ball rolling. Um, so I think that's, you know, a huge stride and a very important thing that this program as a whole will need to hone in and focus on. Um, and then my last thing is just continuing to build the culture. I think I think the culture within ASU football that, you know, an inexperienced Sean Iguana was able to come in and, and harbor was important. Um, such a such a 
season full of hot topics and headlines and and he was able to come in and at least from my point of view on the field and and being at practice every day i really think that iguano um was instilling a positive culture in the team so now you have another arizona guy coming back with Kenny dillingham um keeping iguano on staff and just in working together to really build a team culture and 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 have a place that players want to be not only to play football but to have their best friends to have to have a family um, I think those are the most important things to having a good football team beyond talent, just being a co- cohesive team with, with um, just that top level camaraderie that, that teams strive to have. So I, I think that's my, my big three things. Okay. Cole, take us home over here to wrap up the round table. Yeah. I mean, starters, you got to recruit well, transfer portal. I know they want to hit the state of Arizona hard, but you have to tap into other areas. You got to go to Texas. Uh, you you got to go to California, um, anywhere where you can get talent, Kenny Dillingham has got to, you know, make connections with those coaches as well and, uh, and really get, get some, some talent feeding into Arizona state, because, um, I know talk around the program is that these recruiting infractions, you know, aren't, aren't going to, you know, hurt the program too bad, but they're going to be a factor. And Kenny Dillingham, like he, he took the job knowing that. And so he, he has to, you know, compensate for, for those when, when the NCAA comes down with the hammer, um, I would say, Along the similar lines of Nick, you you have to snowball this energy from Kenny Dillingham's hire and his press conference all through the offseason. There can't be any slowdown. Um, it has to you know keep rolling, and and you've you've got to keep hold more NIL events. You have to you know keep the fan base engaged. Um, you, you've got to create opportunities that proves to Arizona State fans that this is a new era under Kenny Dillingham. That this is this is a new era of Arizona State football, and people need to stay involved not only during the season, but, but also out of it and support the players. And that only, only through there can, can you create a true community um, on par with all, all the rest of, you know, the college football powerhouses. And then for my, for my third final point, I'd probably say in the spring, you know, make sure that Kenny Dillingham's scheme is locked down because this is, this will be Arizona state's fourth scheme in five years. And, you know, a lot of some of these players have have gone through that where they've gone through off seasons of, of learning new coverages of, of learning, you know, new new offensive you know, personnel and, and ways to, to get them to football. And frankly, it's it's not fair to them to be to be learning this. But it, it seems like if Kenny Dillingham is 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 going to be the long term man, that this is going to be the best option um, for the long term future. And, you know, you, you just you, you got to take it on the chin and, and learn a new offensive attack and and hope that that this is the one that sticks. Well, gentlemen, uh, just like Desmond Cambridge uh, a couple of nights in uh, Boulder, we did beat uh, the Zoom play clock and not upgrade to pro. So thank you very much uh, uh, for for your thoughts, for all all your hard work uh, this season. And for anybody listening to the podcast, uh, if you're not a premium subscriber, this is some of the stuff that you're missing out, being in the sidelines and not in the huddles. So thank you very much, uh, gentlemen. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks, Ode. Thanks, Thanks, Ode. And that'll do it for this episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast. Thanks again to my great DevilsDigest.com staff members for the excellent insight they provided in this episode. The excitement, as you can imagine, over the hire of Kenny Dillingham has not only generated a lot of enthusiasm around the fan base, but also gave a boost to our premium subscriber membership and would love you to be part of our community. So when you're done listening to this podcast and you're not a subscriber yet, please head over to my website, DevilsDigest.com, sign up today, and this way you can make sure you're on top of all the flurry of news that's about to hit Tempe. As some of you already know, we were ahead of any other media outlet reporting on Dillingham being Arizona State's new head coach, 
We laid out the list of assistants that he's about to hire, many of them already on staff as we speak, as well as gave everyone a heads up as to which players we expect to leave through the transfer portal next week and which additions could be joining the ranks pretty soon here. And all these are just a few examples of the reasons why you should become a premium subscriber today, so don't delay in signing up. I hope everyone has a great week, and we will catch you guys later on the next episode of the Devil's Junkies Podcast. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town